So let's recap just a little bit. Last week we talked about enemies and we talked about how enemies don't show up to every door. Enemies show up to the great and effective doors. Remember our text, right? First Corinthians 16 and 9. The Bible says there is a great and effective door that has opened up to me and there are many adversaries. So whenever you have a great and effective door, whenever God is getting ready to give you a great and effective opportunity, he, there is going to be an enemy, there is going to be resistance, there is going to be a mountain, there's going to be a giant, there's going to, whatever you want to call it, there is going to be some sort of great resistance when you have a great door. So many of us, we want uh, to live exceptional life, but we want to fight ordinary battles. But that's not how this works. The Bible told us that a great and effective door opens up and there are many adversaries. David had to face Goliath before he steps into his destiny and purpose. He had to face the biggest giant of his life. Amen. He's anointed king in one chapter, and he has the biggest battle of his life in the next chapter. Come on, somebody. If you want to do great and effective exploits for the kingdom of God, if you want to do great and effective things for the kingdom of God, stop whining about the battles. Come on, somebody. Look, I got to pre. I got. I need to. I needed this week. I needed to remember my own message from uh, last week. Come on. Uh, I, I got out of the pulpit, and then it's like all hell wanted to break. People talking crazy, people talking reckless, and I got discouraged for about a half a second, and God reminded me with a text from a brother here at the church that, 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 that everything that we're doing, there's purpose behind it. Come on. There's a great and effective door. We as a church, we as the capital C church are entering, entering into a season where great and effective doors are opening to us. Great and awesome effective doors, effective ministry, effective uh, uh, things, or effective business deals. God God is, is doing some incredible and awesome things in the earth right now. Amen. I've got a little pushback here in the mic. Can y'all help me? But uh, God is getting ready to do some incredible things. And when he does, there is some battles. Come on, a new enemy, a new battle, a new fight, a new giant, a new adversary, whatever you want to call it. It's actually an announcement of a new door. See, whenever some of us, we're, we're tired and we're worried about the last fight because we're still recovering from the last fight. And then there's another fight. But don't worry about that. It's just another effective door. It's a new level. It's a new opportunity. It's a new level of glory. It's a new wave of things that God wants to do in your life. Amen. There, there is a great and effective door awaiting for us. But there are many adversaries. There's a great and effective business deal. Come on. There's a great and effective ministry on the inside of you. There's a great and effective financial breakthrough on the other side of the giant. Come on. There's a great and effective opportunity, but there is going to be a fight. There is going to be a battle. Come on. Let me encourage you. If the devil is that mad, if he's that worried come on somebody if he's throwing everything he can at you if he is throwing every obstacle that he can at you and putting things in your way it needs to be a telltale sign to us that there is a great and effective door that, that it's not just some little thing it's not just some small thing but that there is a great and effective thing on the other side of the battle but most of us we get discouraged and we don't want to go to the fight 
But we've got to fight. You have to fight. There's a great and effective opportunity for you, but there is going to be a battle. God is looking for some people who will step up and go into the fight. God is looking for some people who will step up and go into the battle. God is looking for some people who will be like that little 12-year-old boy who was delivering cheese, by the way, and showed up to the battle and he said, who is this uncircumcised Philistine who is mocking the armies of God and the people of God? And there's this big giant, but he says, I don't care about the giant. I'm seeing a door. Ah, come on, somebody. He remembers that he had just gotten anointed king and that the prophet had come to him and said, you're going you're gonna to be the next king. And David realizes when he steps onto the battlefield, that's not just some giant. That's a door. Come on. That's an opportunity. This is the thing that's standing in between me and me taking the throne. This is the thing that's standing in between me and my destiny. Come on. Who am I talking to this morning? Some of y'all are facing some battles and some of y'all are facing some things, but it's not no time to be discouraged. It's not a time to tuck tail and run. Come on. It's not a time to sit on the sidelines like the rest of Israel was doing as that giant and Goliath was mocking the people of God. No, God is looking for some people who want to get on the other side of the door, but understand I've got to engage in the fight and the battle. There's a fight. Come on, touch your neighbor and tell them we in a fight. Come on, if you know that you're in a fight, you can stop be discouraged about the fight. Amen. So doors bring enemies. Doors bring battles. Doors bring confrontation. Amen. And so last week we talked about doors bringing enemies. And we talked about how enemies can be people, places, and things. And how some enemies are physical and some enemies are spiritual. Amen. I told you the true definition of an enemy is someone or something that's trying to get in the way of your destiny. But I also told you, and this isn't original with me, I want to give credit where credit is due with Apostle Ron who has taught me this. But he's taught me that an enemy is anyone or anything that preys on or strengthens a weakness in you. And this is where we're going to land this plane for a little bit. Because as I studied and prayed over this throughout the week, God really revealed some things to me about this. And I'm going to talk about this twofold, but let's break one at a time down. Amen. So key number one here is that we need to understand enemies within relationships. Enemies within relationships. Remember last week I talked about how you can become a gate or you can become a door. Right? You can become a gate or a a, a gate of hell or a door or window of heaven. Y'all remember that scripture that I tell y'all all the time that y'all are sick and tired of me saying when we take up tithe and offering, right? Uh, bring the tithe and the offering into the storehouse and see if I don't open up the windows of heaven. The Hebraic translation of that actually says, see if I don't open you up. Ah, oh, come on, somebody. And then Matthew 16, where Peter in one... In, five, in a five-minute setting, Peter become a window and a gate. Do y'all remember that? He, he, he says, who do men say that I am? He says, he, Peter says, well, you're the Christ. Jesus says, good answer, son. Flesh and blood didn't reveal that to you. Come on, somebody. You didn't hear that on Facebook. You, you didn't hear that on Instagram. You didn't hear that around the campfire, Peter. God told you that. And in one instant, he become a window of heaven. Heaven invaded the earth because he was submitted and listened to the voice of God. Amen. 
And then do you remember what happens after that? Jesus goes on to tell them, you know, well, I'm going to suffer many things and I've got to go to the cross and I've got to basically die. I got to die and then I got to be raised from the dead in three days. Peter says, hey, come over here, Jesus. Come here for a minute, Jesus. Let me talk to you. And he pulls Jesus to the side and he begins to rebuke the master. He begins to rebuke him and he says, this thing shall not happen to you. Uh-uh, no way. You're the best thing that ever happened to me. You, you're not going to die. And Jesus rebukes him and says, get behind me, Satan. Watch this. For you are thinking like a mere man. He, he becomes a gate. Oh, here we go. If you're taking notes, here it is. He becomes a gate when he gets in his flesh. Ah, y'all missed it. He becomes a gate when he gets in his flesh. He becomes an open door, an open access point for hell to get into the earth when he gets in his flesh, when he thinks like a mere man. Amen. Amen. So an enemy is someone who exploits your weakness. When professional fighters get ready to fight, they study their opponent's weakness. That's how you gain an advantage and hopefully win the fight. Amen. I don't know if you know this or not, but you're in a fight. Come on, touch your neighbor and tell him I'm in a fight. I'm in a fight. So, so you've got an enemy and he studies you. He knows so much about you. The Bible teaches us that in Job, he actually goes into heaven and he brings accusations about mankind before the throne of God. You did know that, right? That in the book of Job, it tells us that it, it describes that scene that he goes. That's what his name means, y'all. It means that he's the accuser. He's the accuser of the brethren. And so he goes up into the courts of heaven and he plays prosecutor. Come on, somebody. And he goes in and he brings up all your faults and he brings up all your mess and he brings up mankind's trouble. Come on. Heaven is set up like a courtroom. You do understand that, right? God is the judge. Come on. Satan is the prosecutor. We're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. Amen. Jesus is your lawyer. Come on, somebody. You've got the greatest lawyer of all time. And can I help you this morning, too? The blood is the DNA proof that the charges are going to be dropped against your life. I wish I could find a worshiper in this place that says, I will thank my lawyer. I'll thank my God. I'll thank the evidence and the proof and the DNA that sets me free. So, so Satan is the accuser of the brethren, right? He's the prosecutor. So, so Satan, demons, fallen angels, spirits, they study our habits, our weak spots, our blind spots, and they try to exploit them. Remember I taught you last week that spirits don't have dominion in the earth, flesh does. God makes that decree in Genesis chapter 1 that mankind shall have dominion on the face of the earth. We are a part of a kingdom. We are not a part of a democracy. Come on, somebody. You know what that means? You don't get a vote. You, your opinion doesn't matter in the kingdom. The only thing that matters is God's word. It doesn't matter how you feel. It doesn't matter. about the only thing that matters and has complete authority is him, his reign, and his rule. Amen. We struggle with this in America because we're part of a democracy. We all get a vote. We get an opinion. But, but you got to understand this. When you become a Christian and a believer, you're now part of a monarchy. Amen. 
And so when God, when a king decrees a thing, not even the king can go back on what it is that he's decreed. And so God in Genesis 1 says, flesh, mankind shall have dominion on the earth. And so what does that mean? That means that if God wants to get something done, he's going to, he's got to use somebody. Come on. That, that means, watch this now. That means if Satan, who is a spirit, he's a, a fallen angel, if he wants to get something done, he's got to use somebody. Oh, this is good teaching. Y'all okay? And, and so that's why we are the body of Christ. Christ is the head. We're his body, meaning we are his hands and feet. When God wants something done in the earth, he raises up a man or a woman. Come on, when God needs to get somebody groceries in the line at Walmart, he sends you there. Come on, somebody. When God wants to heal somebody, he'll send you to anoint them and lay hands on the sick and then recover. Amen. Come on, when God wants to get a message to somebody, he'll give you a word of knowledge or a tongue and an interpretation of tongue. Come on, y'all get what I'm saying. He uses flesh to get his agenda done in the earth all the way from heaven. He's just a G like that. Come on, somebody. He don't even got to come down here. He sends you and makes things happen because you got his spirit on the inside of you and you were placed here to be his hands and feet and do everything that he has instructed you to do and push back and take back territory from hell and make it territory for the kingdom of God. Come on. If you're excited about that, give God a hand clap real quick. Come on, when he wants to set a whole generation of drug addicts free, he'll put somebody like me in place that'll start BTB and Miriam House. Come on, somebody. When he pulls you out of drug addiction, he sends you right back in. Come on. What, can I just say this this morning? This ain't in the notes, but you need to hear this, that whatever God has pulled you out of, he will almost 100% of the time send you back into. Come on, so if you're going through hell in your marriage right now, we serve a God that is able to work all things out for his good, for, for our good, for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So God can take the broken thing in your marriage and in your relationship and heal it and actually it become a testimony of where you can go back in after others and heal their marriage. Come on. So God uses us. He uses flesh, but Satan wants to do the same thing. You know, remember we talked about gates and windows last week. We have the opportunity, you as a human being, you have an opportunity to become a gate of hell or a window of heaven every single day. Every single day. Like I said, Peter, in a matter of five minutes, he became both. He, he became both. Amen. Don't miss this, though. There's something very key to that statement where Jesus says, get behind me. You're thinking like a mere man. I said it a second ago. Amen. That, that he... He tells us that statement there. He tells us you become a gate of hell when you open up yourself to get in your flesh. He says when you're thinking, when you're thinking, excuse me, like a mere man, when you are thinking fleshly, when you're acting fleshly. He tells Peter when you're acting fleshly, when you're thinking like a mere man and not with your spirit or the Holy Spirit or when we get in our flesh, we become gates of hell. Although your name might be written in the Lamb's book of life, you have the opportunity to become a gate or a window in an instant. Come on, y'all ain't talking to me this morning. But I've told you before, the gate or the door that you agree with, and that'll be the one that you give access to. Come on. We're talking about doors this morning, and doors give access, right? 
This is why the Lord says, walk in the spirit so that you don't fulfill the lust of the flesh. Amen. God needs us walking in the spirit. He doesn't need you walking in the flesh. When you walk in the flesh, you just become a gateway for hell. Y'all okay? All right. So you might be thinking, well, what does this have to do with relationships? I told you we needed to talk about relationships first. If gates and windows equal people, you've got to talk about relationships. Come on. An enemy is anyone who exploits or strengthens a weakness in you. Come on. Some of us think we have friends, but we really have enemies. And it's time to shut the door on some of these relationships and move on. Come on. You can't and won't walk through the next door until you shut this door of wrong relationships. Some of us, God can't get us to our next because we're hanging around frenemies. Come on, somebody. Come on, that friend that you're hanging out with or hanging around and because of the influence of them being around, you change up. Oh, come on, somebody. Come on, you know that person that you change up around. Y'all know who I'm talking about. Don't look at me crazy. Come on, you ain't heard from them in four months. They're calling you on a Friday night. Both of you are lonely. Hey, baby. Mm. What's up, baby? How you doing? Mm-hmm. Or that friend that y'all get on the phone with, and every time you get on the phone with them, you're talking about a prayer chain, but it's really become a gossip chain. And instead of praying for the people of God, you praying on the people of God. Come on. Or every time you're around them, you get in the flesh and you're doing things that you normally would not do. I'm trying to tell you that there's an enemy in your life and you've got to shut the door on that relationship so that you can move forward. People are either gates or they are doors. And I don't know about you, but I want to be connected to some doors. I want to be connected to some windows. I want to be connected to some people that call me higher and push me higher and motivate me and encourage me to be the best version of myself. That encourage me to get in my word. That encourage me to come to church and not the club on Friday night, but get to the church on Sunday morning. Come on. I want to surround myself with some windows. I want to surround myself with some people who can edify me and encourage me and lift me up and get me to a place where God wants me and God needs me to be. Come on, we've got to stop hanging around gates and we've got to start hanging around some windows. God is looking for us to be partnered with and in relationship with his people and windows that can bring heaven into our life instead of hell into our life. Can I just say, when a relationship brings breeds, yeah, there it is, that's even better. Because relationships are all about intimacy, right? Into me, you see. It ain't just about sex, but relationships, intimacy, into me, you see. When, it, when that relationship, all it does is breeds chaos and contentment and mess and struggle and flesh, that is a telltale sign that it is time to get out and get up and move on and remove yourself from that situation. Amen. You know, there's this teaching out there that if you understand the nature of a thing, it'll never surprise you. If you understand the nature of a thing, it will never surprise you. Amen. If you understand the nature of a dog, it'll never surprise you. 
If you understand the nature of a cat, it'll never surprise you. If you understand the nature of a newborn baby, it cries, it needs food, it needs milk, it needs... If you understand the nature of it, it won't surprise you. Amen. If you understand the nature of a teenager, come on somebody, you need to write a book. If you understand the nature of a teenager, come on somebody. Come on, you under, if you understand the nature of a man, he'll never surprise you. Just feed him, stroke his ego, he'll be all right. He'll be all right. It's kind of like a baby. Put a diaper on him from time to time, he'll be all right. Again, if you know the nature of a woman, write a book. Nobody understands the nature of a woman either. <laughs> Is it today my anniversary? I need to chill. Watch this now. If you understand the nature of the spirit behind the person or the, the spirit that that person is operating in, you'll never be surprised by it. Come on. And you can know the nature of the relationship and know whether it needs to continue or the relationship needs to stop. Here's one way that you need to know whether the door needs to be open or shut. Does the friend agree with you when they're around you, but they hang around your enemies? Mm. Do, do they agree with you when they're around you, but they're also in fellowship and communion with your enemies? That is a telltale sign that it's time to cut the relationship off. And then the second thing there is knowing the nature of the relationship. You can, you can look at Samson and Judas for a second and understand what I'm telling you. Judas would hang around Jesus, but then he was also hanging out with the Pharisees. Come on, as soon as he realized that Jesus wasn't going to do what he wanted him to do, he started hanging out with the enemy. Judas was a zealot, meaning they were a group of Jewish people who were te basically terrorists to the Roman government. They were setting bombs off in town. They were stabbing folk up like, like uh, Roman guards who would be out at night. They were trying to overthrow the Roman government. And this is the group of people that Judas came from. And so when he began to listen to Jesus' teachings, he realized he's not here to overthrow the Roman government. He's here to establish something else. And what I'm interested in is overthrowing the Roman government. And so he begins to go hang out with the enemy. Come on. You, that person, they might be saying that they're your friend, but if they're hanging around your enemy, they do not have your best interests in mind. Let me put it simply. If you're an addict and the friend, or you come out of addiction and the friend that you say that you have all they do is partying in the club and doing drugs and drinking and sleeping around and doing all those. They're sleeping and hanging out with the enemy. And that is a time that you need to shut the door. Is that plain enough? Come on. Come on. When you have a problem with gossiping and, and you just can't help yourself. But every and every time you get on the phone with that, that is a door. That is a relationship that you need to cut off. And watch this. Let me say this, too. Anytime that somebody turns on you when they don't when you're not doing what they want, it is a sign that the relationship needs to be cut off because they have become a gate of hell. Judas was rolling with Jesus, y'all. 
He was casting out devils. He was laying hands on the sick. He was feeding the poor. He was in full-time ministry. But the Bible says that it, Satan entered him at the Last Supper. Read your Bible. The wickedness, he had some issues, which I'm getting to in a minute. He had some internal struggles. He had some iniquities, right? But Satan didn't enter him until he realized, yo, he's not going to do what I want him to do. Mm. He got an agreement with Jesus' real enemy, which was religion, which was the establishment of the day. It was the religious establishment of the day. Samson, he didn't understand the nature of his relationship with Delilah. He didn't understand that he was opening the door to his flesh and that would eventually become his downfall. Everything he was supposed to not be doing, he kept doing. He was in his flesh constantly. He was with women constantly. He was drinking alcohol constantly. He was touching dead things and everything that his flesh wanted, what looked good to him, he went and he partook of and he starts hanging around in the enemy camp. He went through the wrong door. His friend Delilah was in agreement with the Philistines, and the Philistines was his true enemy. Are y'all catching what I'm dropping this morning? And I'm closing this section down, but even Jesus in John chapter 2, Jesus did not entrust himself to the people. Because the Bible says in John, in John chapter 2 that Jesus needed no one to testify about man and man's heart and how mankind can be. He didn't even entrust himself to the 120 who was with him constantly. The Bible says the, the ones who were in the upper room in Acts chapter 2, they were with him constantly from the beginning days of his ministry all the way until the end. He didn't entrust himself to all of them either. He entrusted himself to the 12, and then he didn't even entrust himself to the 12 all the time and had to break off for the three, and then obviously he breaks off from the three to an audience of one. Can I just say this? God calls you to love everybody, but he doesn't call you to trust everybody. God requires that you love everybody, but he doesn't require that you trust everybody. The Bible, Jesus did not entrust himself to trust. Love is given. Trust is earned. Love is given and trust is earned. I'm trying to help somebody today. I really felt this strongly to put this in today's message. Some of you've got to shut the doors on some relationships today. Because if you don't shut the door, yeah, thank you, Holy Ghost. If you don't shut the door on your Delilah, you're going to end up in the enemy's camp. And Samson, instead of becoming the greatest judge of all time and a real life superhero, he dies in the enemy's camp blind and naked. Because of a faulty relationship. Because of a relationship with an enemy. And him not addressing the things that were going on on the inside of him. Thank you, Lord. I got to get to this next point because this is where I really need to spend some time. Y'all okay? Yes. Second point is this. Your greatest enemy. My greatest enemy is enemy. T.D. Jakes. I ain't going to give him credit too. That ain't original with me. Ain't that smart. Ain't that clever. But the, but the enemy is in a me, which brings us back to our original text from Psalm 32. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, 
whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute, meaning charge him with his iniquity, and in him there is no deceit. What he means by in him there is no deceit, it does not mean that, that he has not ever told a lie before or that he's not ever been deceitful. What he's saying is that in him, he's not trying to fool himself anymore. He's gotten to a place of realness with himself and his iniquity, his sin, his junk, everything that he's got going on. He says, blessed is the man whose transgression is forgiven and whose sin is covered. And blessed is the man whose iniquities are not counted against him. In order to get where we're going and in order to understand what it is that I'm teaching you today, you need to understand that there is a difference between transgressions and iniquities. There is a difference between transgressions and iniquities. Transgressions are your sin. Amen. He was pierced for our transgressions. Isaiah chapter 53. That means that's that sin that everybody can see. Come on, somebody. And you all have got some. Don't look at me crazy. Come on, it's transgression. That is, that is that sin. And he was bruised for what? Our iniquities. Transgressions are sin. That's when you're trying to hit the mark, but you miss it. It's those mistakes that are on the outside that people and everybody can see. Iniquity is a word that we see all throughout the Bible. David talks about iniquities a lot. He talks about them in Psalm 32 and he talks about them in Psalm 51. And he pins both of these Psalms after he is caught in the act of adultery with Bathsheba. Amen. Iniquities are, watch this, pay attention. Those are those inward sins. The, those are those inward sins. Those are those inner struggles. Those are those inner weaknesses that you don't tell nobody about and that you think nobody sees. Come on, somebody. He was bruised for your iniquities. He was, he was bruised for your iniquity. You want to know what a bruise is? You know what a bruise is, right? It's internal. It's on the side of you. It's where blood is trapped underneath your, your skin. So that's really good news, though, because Jesus was crushed and pierced for our transgressions, and he was bruised for our iniquities, meaning that Jesus paid for your outside sin, and he paid for your inside sin. Come on. He paid for all of the outside junk that everybody can see, but he also paid the price for that inward stuff that don't nobody see. Come on, that inward struggle. Come on, that, that you think nobody can see, and maybe nobody does see. Maybe it's that private thing that you don't want nobody to know about, because if they knew about it, you would be extremely embarrassed. Come on, somebody. We've all had those things or have those things in our life but the good news is is that Jesus paid it all amen that Jesus paid for your inward sin and your outward sin so when we talk about transgressions and iniquities we're talking about that outward sin and that inward struggle but we want to focus on iniquities for a little bit today iniquities that's that's a another good word for that to really help you understand is is that's that weakness on the inside of you that's that thing you know the hebrew word it actually is a picture of being bent it, it's that thing that you lean towards naturally it's just natural to you and and you lean towards it, it means twist it up towards 
a certain thing. You know that scripture that we quote all the time, and the iniquity, it's not the, it's not the transgression, it's the iniquity of the fathers is past three and four generations. Translation, you eventually going to have to fight your, your daddy's devil. You're eventually going to have to face head on that thing that your mom and your grandma or your grandfather and your dad had to face and battle that inward, that iniquity. You are going to have to face that giant one day. You're fighting things internally that have been passed on to you for generations until you shut the door on it. Amen. By the way, you shut the door the way that you don't think. We're getting to that as we close. But this is why some of us do the things that we do. And we are like, why did I just do that? Oh, y'all ain't helping me preach today. Come on. This is why we have those internal struggles. And we do those things that we're asking questions like why in the world did I do it's because you are bent towards that that is an iniquity it's on the inside of you David had an iniquity it was women come on somebody his iniquity was actually passed down to him as well and Psalm 51 do you understand this Psalm 51 David talks about this when he pins this this repentant psalm and song to God the Father when he says that in sin I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin my mother conceived me do you understand that Jewish tradition says that either Jesse or his mother had David in an affair He was born out of sin and and, an iniquity that was passed down to him from either his mother or his father is what got him to the place that he was with Bathsheba. And it's because he never dealt with the iniquity. He never dealt with that thing on the inside of him. He never acknowledged it up until this point. He never dealt with it and it got him to this place where he was at. His weakness brings about destruction uh, uh, until he shuts the door on it. His weakness until he deals with it and faces it, it wrecks havoc in his life. Until he shuts the door on it, it brings about destruction. Samson had a weakness. He had an iniquity on the inside of him. His happened to be women, alcohol, and disobedience and just straight up fleshly desires. Right. The pride of life, the lust of the eyes, the the lust of the flesh and the pride of life. There's Samson's issue. There's Samson's iniquity. And because he doesn't address it, he could have went down as the greatest judge of all time. But he does not address the iniquity. He doesn't address the weakness. He doesn't address the struggle. And it takes him out. Peter had an iniquity and a weakness, too. Do you want to know what his was? He was a chameleon. Whoever Peter was around was who he acted like. This is why Jesus changes his name to rock. Because Peter was like water. You want to know what water does, right? Water takes on the form of whatever is holding it. But he says, no, I got to turn you into a rock where when I drop you in an environment, you change the environment. Oh, come on, somebody. Is there any Holy Ghost-filled Christians that say, I'm going to change the environment of wherever I go or wherever God sends me. I'm not going to let the environment change me, but I'm going to go change the environment. I'm going to change the environment on the assembly line, at my job, at my business. I'm going to change the atmosphere, and I'm going to change...
temperature in the room wherever God sends me. I'm not going to be a chameleon. Come on. God is not looking for chameleons. He's looking for reflections. That's an old message. That was a real old message. You remember that one? I need to preach that here one day and have the ushers lock the doors. None of y'all get out of here. <laughs> Come on. When Peter was with Jesus, he was a disciple. Come on. When he would hang out with fishermen, he was a fisherman. When, sh- when soldiers showed up to arrest Jesus, he became a soldier. He pulled out his knife and he was aiming for his head when he cut off the ear. Come on. When he wasn't around Jesus and things got tough, he denied him. And even after he said, watch this, even after he's saved and born again, Paul has to rebuke him because he sits at the table with the other Jews and won't sit with the Gentiles. Peter has a iniquity. Mm. Y'all catching this today? Your biggest enemy isn't a person, it's your iniquity. Your biggest enemy is that weakness that's on the inside of you that you need to address. Your biggest enemy is that thing that you are bent towards, that thing that you lean towards. It's that thing that you have an appetite for when nobody's looking. It's that internal struggle that you might not actually have anything to do with, and you don't know why you do it, and you don't know why you like it, and there's that one thing that you don't want to do, but you find yourself keep doing, and that thing that you you want to do, you can't do, and what you don't want to do you find yourself practicing come on somebody Paul even mentions this in Romans 7 he had an iniquity himself he had an inner struggle himself he had a weakness he had an iniquity he had a struggle he had this thing that he was bent towards and that he doesn't overcome until later when he deals with it I'm telling you today that we've got to shut some doors on some things Remember what I told you about how flesh has dominion in the earth. If God needs something done, he uses a person. If the enemy needs something done, he uses a person. Here is the great revelation in this message that God gave me today. And, and I know I'm kind of teaching more than I'm preaching, but that's all right. We, got, we need to sit down and learn sometimes. Amen. Is that okay? But, but God, show me. The enemy can't do anything in your life without your agreement and you giving him permission. Do you understand that? The, the, the enemy can't do anything to you or in your life unless you give him agreement and permission to get it done. Because he can't do anything in the earth without it coming through flesh and the dominion of mankind. He knows the scriptures, y'all. He knows the scriptures. Come on, are you a gate or are you a window this morning? He studies your weakness. He's trying to exploit that weakness on the inside of you. He's trying to wiggle his way in through that thing that you struggle with. And until you acknowledge that weakness and take it to the Lord, your enemy is going to use it against you. That's the only avenue that Satan has to get into your life. He does not have power and authority over you. He only has a window or a door or a gate to get through when you give him permission to go in. He ruined Samson's life and ministry by exploiting his weakness. 
He got Judas because he exploited his weakness of selfishness and selfish desires. He almost destroyed Jacob through his weakness and internal struggle of being a trickster, a liar, and, and, and somebody who's willing to do whatever it takes and say whatever it takes to get his way. He almost destroys and takes Jacob out until Jacob has a wrestling match with God in Genesis chapter 32. Amen. God wrestles him and takes that junk out of him. He tried to destroy David by exploiting his weakness. He almost took out Peter by exploiting his weakness. I know all of this seems like really bad news. Because you're thinking, man, this iniquity, this inner struggle, this weakness, I've had my whole life and never been able to get rid of it. I, I've wanted to be able to do it, but I, I've not been able to do it. Don't worry, I got good news for you this morning. There's a door. There's a door. Touch your neighbor and tell them there's a door. 2 Samuel chapter 12, verses 1 through 15. Y'all okay? I need to hurry. 2 Samuel chapter 12, verses 1 through 15. Let me give you a door. 2 Samuel 12, 1 through 15. This is the... A good little bit of scripture. I don't know if they have it on the screen. I gave it to them, but let's see. I'm going to go ahead and read it. Then the Lord sent Nathan to David. Yeah, there we go. Then the Lord sent Nathan to David and he came to him and said to him, there were two men in one city, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had exceedingly many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing except one little e-lamb. Uh, uh, yeah, e-lamb, uh, u-lamb, whatever that is. Y'all know what I'm saying, uh, which he had brought and uh, bought and nourished. And it grew up together with him and with his children. It ate of his own food and drank from his own cup and lay in his bosom. And it was like a daughter to him. And a traveler came to the rich man who refused to take from him his own flock and from his own herd. To prepare one for the wayfaring man who had came to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. So David's anger was greatly aroused against the man. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, this man who has done this shall surely die. David swears on God. And he shall restore fourfold for the lamb because he did this thing and because he had no pity. David thought he was being spiritual, y'all. Then Nathan said to David, you are the man. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel and delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house, your master's wives into your keeping and gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if that had been too little, I also would have given you much more. He said, if you would have dealt with that iniquity and that thing on the inside of you, there would have been nothing I would not have given to you. There would not have been a door that I would not have opened to you. But because you did not deal with this thing, why have you despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? You have killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword. You have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the people of Ammon. Now, therefore, the sword 
shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and you have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, behold, I will raise up an adversity against you from your own house and I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbors and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of the sun. He prophesies about Absalom. The sword will never leave your house. You understand that David wanted to build. David was the first one who said, I want to build God a temple. I'm living in this palace. God's out there in a tent. I want to build God a house. And he says, no, 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 son. You got too much blood on your hands. You ain't building me nothing. But what happens is that David, David, because he doesn't deal with the thing, he shuts a door. For you did this secretly, but I would do this thing before all Israel, before the sun. So David, now here we go. David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. He repents. He confesses. Ah. And Nathan said to David, the Lord also put away your sin. You shall not die. However, because by you did this deed in great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. He, this, he said, you're giving God's enemies a reason to blaspheme and mock God because your behavior is so excruciating. This is why Paul tells you don't even associate with people who call themselves believers, but they're mixed up in sin and fornication and craziness and all of all of the adultery and greed and lying and cheating. He says if they call themselves Christians, don't even associate with them because you get isn't that isn't that what people are saying about Christians? The hypocrisy that's there. Now, I get it. Most of them use an excuse and try to just use that because they don't want to get right with the Lord. But there is still this truth and this sense that hypocrisy drives people away from the Lord. To blaspheme the child also who is born shall surely die. It costs the next generation. When you don't deal with that thing on the inside of you that God needs to deal with, it can cost the next generation. Then Nathan departed from his house. Mm. But watch this. The prophet becomes a door. The, the prophet becomes a door. Remember, we all have a choice to be a gate or a door. Come on, Nathan, the prophet makes up his mind. I'm going to be a door of God in this moment. I know what happened. I've seen it. People have told me, and I am going to be a vessel for God. I am going to be a door. This is a door of confrontation, but a door of confrontation, if you respond the right way, can become a door of freedom. David repents of this mess, and he repents of this junk, and his confession becomes the open door when God had slammed the door. his confession becomes the place of freedom. The iniquity or weakness you ignore and don't address will become the thing that shuts the door of God's necks on your life. 
God will shut the door on your necks and you won't be able to pry it open. He'll, he'll shut it until you're ready or you might end up like Samson and not fulfill what God has for you because you won't kill the thing on the inside of you that's holding you back from the open door. Remember that verse from last week in Hebrews. Let go of every weight that's holding you back and every sin that so easily entangles you. That sin, the sin, is iniquity. God is saying, shut the door. Worship team, will y'all go ahead and come on and help me as I close? You can shut the door on the iniquity. And there's something that you can do that actually shuts the door and it opens another one. There's something that you can do. Worship him, y'all just play something light. Where you can shut the door on that iniquity. You can shut it down. And when you do, it actually opens up another door. It opens a door of escape. Psalm 32, David said, until I acknowledge, yeah, just let me go read it. Psalm 32, Psalm 32. When I kept silent, my bones grew old through my groaning all the day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me, conviction, my vitality, my energy, my vitality was turned into the drought of summer. Then he says this in verse 5. I acknowledge my sin to you and my iniquity I have not hidden. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. David says, until I talked about it. Until I brought it to the altar. Until I acknowledged it. Meaning I recognized it. I called it out. I pointed it out. Until I addressed it. It was making my bones age and grow old. He said my spirit was heavy. My, my soul, it was like a drought in the summertime. In Psalm 51, when he's talking about this situation too, he says, I acknowledged, I acknowledged it. By acknowledging it, it opened a door. I shut the door on the thing that was going to hold me back and stop me from my necks. See, there's a, there's a huge contrast there between Samson and David. Samson wouldn't shut the door and he dies in the enemy's camp with his title and his anointing stripped from him, with his ministry stripped from him. He, he could have went down and should have went down as the greatest judge of all time. He was literally a real life superhero. Captain America, Thor, ain't none of them have nothing on Samson. Come on, somebody. He could have went down as the greatest judge of all time. But because he doesn't deal 
With this thing on the inside of him, he disqualifies himself and he ends up in the enemy's camp. Well, what's the contrast with David? David is confronted with it and David says, I have sinned against the Lord. You understand, when you get to a place of acknowledging it and confessing it, you can slam the door shut on it and it's crazy. As soon as you slam the door shut, another one opens right wide open and you can walk right through it and overcome the thing that is messing you up. You understand, you can't fix a leak when you don't know where you're leaking from. Or you won't acknowledge where you're leaking from. You shut the door. Come on, this is a word, y'all. Because we all have them. We all have iniquities in our lives. We all have internal struggles and weaknesses. And let me tell you something right now. If you don't deal with that internal struggle and weakness, you will not go through the open door that God has for you. You won't. He'll shut the door on you. You will not go to your next. You shut the door by acknowledging it. First John says, if you confess your sins, I will be faithful and just to forgive them. That is some really, really good news, y'all. I don't know if y'all get that or not, but 100% of the time, if you confess your sins to the Lord and you repent and you ask forgiveness of it, he forgives you. That's some really good news. Watch this. Here's a hard one. James says, confess your faults one to another and watch healing come. But we can't talk to each other. Because if somebody understands or knows that internal thing going on the inside of me, we don't look at each other the same. Can I just tell you, my friends, this should not be. This should be the safest place on the face of the earth is in God's church and in his house. David says in Psalm 32, in whose spirit there is no deceit, meaning he got real with himself. And he's telling us if we will get real with ourselves. He said, when I kept silent, it was killing me. It was literally aging me. It was stressing me out. It was horrible when it was on the inside of me. It was aging me. It was driving me crazy. It was making my spirit heavy. It was like a drought in the summertime is what David describes this as he holds on to it instead of releasing it unto the Lord. And let me give you good news because here's the last, this is it. This is the last door. First Corinthians 10, 13. The Bible says there is no temptation that is uncommon to man. There's no iniquity that is uncommon to man. There's no sin. There's no junk that is uncommon to man. And God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted with that iniquity beyond what you can endure. And watch this. He will make a way of escape a door. really feel this heavy in my spirit today that we're talking about doors we're talking about opportunities we're talking about God's next and and like I get it I, I you know it's exciting we get worked up about it we get we we ready to run a lap we ready to dance we ready to shout come on we want to dance like David danced amen 
about that new door, about that new opportunity. But can I tell you, my friends, if we, we, me included, don't address our iniquities and the weaknesses that's on the inside of us, you ain't stepping through no door. You ain't stepping onto your, you ain't going to the next level. You ain't getting that next breakthrough. You're not getting, you're not getting all this stuff that we're getting excited about and that I've taught about. We're not going there if we don't deal with us. Today's a day to deal with us. God has a next for you. God has a next for you, but we've got to deal with some things today. So I, I'll be honest with you. I, it is not a day. I don't need to lay hands on anybody. I don't need to prophesy. I don't need to do any of that. I'm about to have the worship team just sing a song. And we're, and, and we're going to, I'm going to open up the altars. And I'm just asking you to come deal with you today. Because if you want your next, you got to deal with this today. Because we all got this. We, I, this altar should be full. I'm not trying to provoke you and tell you what to do, but I'm telling you, when they start singing this song, you need to shut yourself away with God right now and say, God, deal with me today. Because I want my next. I want that next door. I want that next opportunity. I want that next level. But God, I understand after today, I ain't going anywhere if I don't deal with this thing today and kill it. And you kill it by exposing it. And, and here's the other thing. Paul gives another incredible scripture. He says, I asked God to take this thing from me. And I, and I had this weakness. I had this infirmity in me. And I asked God to take it from me three times. And he said, don't worry about it, son. My grace is sufficient for you. So what does that even mean? It's not an excuse to keep engaging with the weakness. It's an excuse to lean on him. Because when you lean on him and in the weakness, there he can become strong. We need God to be strong in our life to overcome the weaknesses so that we will stop engaging with the iniquity that we are bent towards. Peter even dealt with it after he was filled with the Holy Ghost, preached his first sermon, 3,000 were added in one day. He still dealt with his iniquity after that, but he was not the same person. And he walked through every door that God had for him. So I'm just going to get out of the way today. I'm going to pray. I'm going to be at this altar because I can't step into my next until God deals with me and my junk and my internal struggle and my weakness. So as the worship team plays, I just ask that you would make your way up to the altar and, and pray and seek the face of God. Come on, worship team.